If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? Podcast time. All is good in the hood, I kind of think. How are you, Head? I'm good, yeah. What a weekend. What well, a weekend. yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Dante to Damon. <laughs> Dante to Damon, I know. And Kate Rayworth we had. And then we had The Edge and then Brian... Cox and Isabel Allende, the whole thing was really, really good and it worked really well. And I think from my gather, you know, from the reaction online, people really enjoyed the fact that we really tried to make it like broadcast quality. Didn't just do Zoom to Zoom, actually spent the money and and the tower looked brilliant and the whole thing. Oh, the place is brilliant. No, it looked amazing. It's an amazing, amazing. So it's great. You know, it's uh, it's kind of funny, you know, you do these big things and at the time you're kind of, you're full on trying to organize everything. And then when it's over, it's like, ooh. It's a bit of a pain. Yeah, quite, yeah. Quite like You're that, coming down off it now. Yeah, okay, yeah, coming down off me, Buzz. <laughs> it was fantastic. Then I tell you what we were we were doing during the week, just before the festival, had to go up to Belfast uh, for the day. Drove up. See the in-laws. See the in-laws, exactly. Or were you having a word with poots? Well, it was the day of the poots. You know, I was just <laughs> thinking, you know, Brian Clough lasted longer at Leeds United than Edwin Poots did. And so did John Paul I. The Pope. <laughs> Did he? Or the fellow only lasted 30 days. Just crazy stuff. And it's interesting. You know when either tribe in the north are getting neurotic by the flags, but it's usually the unionist side. Yeah. And we decided to drive up uh, via Strangford, which is really, really nice, and Port of Ferry in that Mm, part. mm, So you drive all the way, you know, as far as about Bambridge, and then you take a right and you go through County Down. Going through, and all you go through these little villages, and it's all UVF flags. And, you know, UVF flags, which are supposed to be illegal, and Red Hands of Ulster and Union Jacks. Yeah. Then you go into. But it's coming into marching season. It's coming to marching season. But I mean, and if you go up then the Arts Peninsula, you can basically see the patchwork of ethnicities and religions by the various villages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, you, you know, you go into Port of Ferry, which I think is probably a Catholic town with no flags. Then you have Port of Vogie, which is full-on Protestant Port town. Port of Vogie, hey. Okay. And you go over Donica de hey, right? And all these little places. And these are little seaside towns with just full of UVF flags. And then you come into Ards, Newton Ards, yeah. which is big, full-on 
UVF territory. And what you realise is, you know, the more and more neurotic the unionists are, the bigger the flags. So the flags are a sign right. of insecurity, not of security. Mm. They're a sign of fragility and vulnerability and feeling. And then, of course, this was all on the day I just loved the DUP, that, a, you know, a creationist is too forward looking for them. <laughs> and they've booked them out. These poots are made for yeah. walking. <laughs> it's just so funny. And their obsession is the Irish language. Yeah. It threatens well, nobody. The, it threatens yeah, know, nobody. I, it's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bit that actually gets me is like, you know, it's not something to get head up about. Really, no, it's, it's not. not. But they are onto something, which is basically that the, the British government did a deal with the Irish government over the Irish Language Act. And they basically said, look, if you guys can't sort this out over the next two or three months, we're going to impose this act on you, which is basically just to have signs on the road. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's kind of also indicative, I think, of Westminster saying, look, we're out of there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're on our way out and yeah. it might take us 10 years, 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Let's but start laying the groundwork. Yeah, and we're not going to dig our heels in for these people, yeah. you know? and uh, so They have been shafted. They've been shafted right, left and centre. Oh, aye. So the conversation now on, on Wednesday so, night was... Oh, yeah. How were the in-laws? The in-laws. <laughs> I, they, they, they're, they understand that, you know, the world is changing up there. But their view is very, very... I mean, they would vote for the Alliance Party. Yeah. And I would think that if you are a unionist in the north of that persuasion, the only party that can protect the union is the Alliance Party. Because it's the only middle of the road party oh, that's right. non-sectarian, okay. yeah. but kind of pro-union. They want to keep the status quo. Yeah. And I think if you were a thinking prod, uh, what you would do <laughs> is move away from the DUP, move away from the OUP, vote alliance, find, find common ground mm. with the SDLP, find common ground with members of Sinn Féin who might say, well, okay, we'll wait a while. But, you know, the more they vote for the DUP, the more damned the union is. Mm. And it's so obvious to me. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like all these things. If you vote for the extremes or if you allow yourself to be dragged over to the extreme, you lose the middle ground. And the middle ground is who makes the decisions. That's always the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah. you can't win elections from the extremes, particularly in a system or in a, in a country that's so divided. Like but isn't, isn't like just, you know, pull back a bit and look at the world where everything is becoming extreme. You know, whether it's America, it's so divided now as well. And there are the rising extremists, you know, in France, yeah. in, you know, all across Europe, the extremists are rising, leaving very little room for... For the middle ground. For well, the middle ground. Well, uh, well, that's what we want to talk about today. See, lovely segue oh, there. Hey, you know. I want to talk about this idea of power casts in society, histories of power. Mm. So do you remember when we were talking to Eric Lonergan last week. Yes. And he was talking about the origins of money. Yes. And then I decided that to... That was a great conversation. Yeah, very, very good. I decided to look at a very, very interesting book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by a guy called David Graeber, an anthropologist, right? And he right. talks about the history of debt. Fascinating book. But it caught my eye... For you. Eye. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what caught my eye was references to Ireland, right? And uh, in Ireland, the currency for many, many years was cattle and slaves, right? Okay. In, the, in the Celtic world. Yeah, yeah. Right, so the so basically the, the monetary system was based around slaves, particularly women, and cattle. That was the entire thing. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, I'll, I'll actually, I'll read, it, I'll read it from him. 
What's more, at a certain period, there was a very lively slave trade. This is about Ireland. As one historian put it, Ireland has no material wealth. And foreign luxury goods could be bought by Irish kings mainly from the export of two goods, cattle and people. Right? Slaves. Hardly surprising, perhaps, that cattle and people were the two major denominations of Irish currency. Still, by the time of our earliest records, which kick in around 600 AD, the slave trade appears to have been dying off, and slavery itself is a waning institution coming under severe disapproval from the church, was founded by St. Patrick, who was himself a slave. Yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, he so was. Fascinating stuff, but I was going that back there, and then I was thinking about Celtic society and how the whole thing worked, and you had three different strata of power. You had the Druids, Mm -hmm. you had the Warriors, and you had the agricultural landlords, right? Before the landlord class, the people who owned a lot, right? And for a long, long time... Who were the normal kind of Joe Soaps, the guys working the land? The guys, they were just, they were inconsequential to the... They were either in the armies, right? Mm. So, for example, if one clan had a scrap of another clan, they got the the local lads to do the scrapping, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the power base, the caste system, right? And then I was reading another book about castes, right? I read it a while ago. It's by a guy called David Priestland. It's called Merchant, Soldier, Sage, A New History of Power, right? And I was thinking about this because it's about, it's a fascinating history about the world seen through the perspective of castes rather than class, right? And it's quite distinct because... Was this a kind of a, a, an Indian take on it? Because caste no, is no, synonymous a, Well, that's India. the thing. It's synonymous with India, but he's saying, no, in actual fact, we've always had these caste systems. Okay. That okay. If, so I was looking at the Celtic stroke Brehon class system when I was reading Graeber's book. But then I was thinking about Priestland's book, and I'm also thinking about the election that's coming up in Sandymount, and in Ringsend in South Dublin, all seen through the frame of this caste idea. So the idea is, Priestland's idea is that there's three major castes that are in power always. They are what he calls the sage technocratic caste, which are the descendants of the priest, right? So they're Mm. the Brehons and the Druids, right? And basically what they, they derive their power from having the direct ear to the king, to be being able to interpret the gods, to be able to make the laws. So they then, they have morphed over hundreds of years from a druid caste to a religious caste. And now what he calls them is this, the sage technocratic caste, right? They right. are the educated caste, okay? So now they are the senior civil servants, the economists, right. the lawyers, the consultants, all these people, Right the doctors, whatever, who make up the, what he would call the technocratic caste, right? Mm. And they are incredibly the powerful. professionals. Now. Professional caste who are now very highly educated, really quite well paid, and would be described as the sort of upper middle class of a society. But he's saying, no, they're not a class, they're more of a caste, and they're bonded together by their education, right? Right. Now, I think it's a fascinating idea. And they, they derive their legitimacy directly from the Druids, right? And the high priests okay. of the ancient world. And the same people, right? I, I love this, carry on. Which means economists are Druids, which I quite like, right? <laughs> then there is... Have you got one of those little hoodies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then there is the the other caste, he calls the warrior caste, right? And these are the heroic caste, right? So mm. these are, when you go back to ancient Greece, these are, you know, these are, these are the guys that all were... Helen of Troy and Priam, yeah. Achilles and all this. And they're kind of stoic and they're 
slightly kind of jockish in their outlook, right? Right. But yeah. but obviously they're the hero class. And if you think about Ireland, these are the people, these were the, the Ku Cullen and the Red Branch Knights, and they were the heroes yes. of 1916. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were the earls, the flight of the earls, all these, the fighting class, right? And this caste was very, very, very dominant until the world became peaceful. And then they were kind of made redundant. In fact, fascinating is a country like Prussia. We -hmm. forget that Prussia was a country driven by a strange alliance of the Junker caste, which was the upper landlord caste, and the warrior class. And they both came together to make Prussia incredibly militaristic. Right. And Prussia is the only country that has been eradicated from the map after a war. Every other country, right? Nobody ever hears of Prussia. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. So after the Second World War, the Allies and the Russians decided this country is too dangerous. And this caste, this warrior caste, is so dangerous that we cannot even give them their country back. And it's the only country that's ever been disappeared. Where are the old Prussians then? They were largely in what's now East Germany, Poland, Poland, and even further into Lithuania, and then up towards Danzig, the Germans called it, and Memeland, which is all these areas, which is what used to be called... Just all around the Baltic. Yeah, it's now called Kaliningrad. It used to be called Konigsberg. And Kaliningrad is named after Kalin, who was the great Russian communist, right? Right. But in actual fact, it was called Konigsberg. It was the home of Immanuel Kant, John, such of the great German philosophers (laughs) as we're on our little slight detour around. But that was the centre of the Prussian system, right? Yeah. It's called Ostprussia, East Prussia, okay? And that country, because of the alliance between the landlord caste and the warrior caste been so dangerous that it, it basically they mm. believe not only did it cause the Second World War, but the First World War. Yes, yeah. And yeah. the unification. Bismarck was Prussian. Bismarck, wasn't it? One yeah. of them. Yeah. It's the Tash. So, it's all in the Tash. Yeah, a bit of wax on yeah. that. Um, but it's, it's sorry, I know this is go, I'm going off on a little now, well, let's uh, go on a tangent. tangent. But so where are the Prussians now? Do people still identify as Prussian? I think amongst the Germans. Like the Basques so, and that kind of so stuff, you know. What happened was the, the, the greatest transfer of population the world has ever seen, refugee crisis, was yeah. Germans being kicked out of Eastern Europe after the Second World War. Nobody ever talks about it. Go on, uh, explain that. 10 million Germans who lived as far away as the Volga. So basically the German, the Germans have this very, very strange history that... Germans, for many German nationalists, anywhere the German language was spoken was German. So Mm. that could extend to Saxon villages in Transylvania, of which there are many, right? German speakers in Croatia, German speakers in Hungary, Transylvania, the Volga Germans over at the Volga River in Russia, Mm. okay? Isolated German populations around Ukraine, brought by Catherine the Great, who was actually German, as we know. Yes. She wasn't yeah, Russian yeah. at all, right? Yeah. And then all these Germanic populations, which lived in what is today Poland, in Lithuania, in the Baltic states. So all these people were unified by Nazism in this campaign against the Slavs. Yeah. Right? They've always been yeah. anti-Slavic yeah. because they've lived right beside them. And after the Second World War, between 1944 and 1948, there was forced migration of 10 million Germans from all around Europe. Nobody talks about it. 
right? Wow, the, yeah, 10 million. 10 million, 10 million Germans. 10 million Germans were killed in the Second World War and between, I think, between 8 and 10 million Germans were uprooted, right? And huge rapes of German women and all sorts of things happened to them. What we know mainly about is Sudetenland Germans who were in the Czech Republic mm. and they were all kicked out and they ended up living largely in West Germany. So West Germany becomes, you ask where the Prussians went, mm. West Germany becomes a reservoir of evicted Germans after the Second World War. Wow, and it's I a didn't really, know that. Yeah, so for example, the foreign minister who unified Germany was a guy called Hans-Dietrich Genscher, who was originally Sudeten German. The CSU, the Christian Social Union, which mm. is the CDU in Bavaria, is largely a population of Sudeten Germans. So uprooted Germans tend to be more nationalistic, more traditional, etc. And the Prussians end up ended up being sprinkled in amongst those people. Right. But that's maybe why Germany was such... You know, you talk about why did the German economy really propel itself upwards in the 1950s and 60s? Lots of people say, oh, it was because of the war. It was, but it was also because Germany was a refugee camp of right. Germans. Yeah. They had nothing. All these people had left everything. In fact, I will tell you, the man who married me... What? The man who <laughs> married me, the, the rector... Okay. Yeah. Do you remember him, Praviti? Right. I do. Right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was the rector of Clifton. Yes. Remember the little church we got married yeah, in? Right? Yeah, yeah. Mary's church. Yeah, yeah. Mary's, and there yeah. was a hole in the roof. That's right. Yes. In, yeah. There was a hole in the roof, yeah. right? Okay. On the foggiest day of the ever foggiest seen day. Yeah. In my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tiny little church of Ireland place. Yeah. It was lashing rain, right? So the rector, Praviti's wife, was an East Prussian from Memeland, and she told me that's an amazing story. She remembers running from the Russians as a child. Wow. The Russians, she said they were about four miles behind them. And herself and her mother and her sisters and older people in the village, yeah. they just picked up whatever they could and they ran. And she said, by the time they stopped running, they had nothing. They ran from Eastern Germany, wow. Eastern Jesus. Prussia, back to Germany. Now you can imagine that. Yeah. So the, the stories after the Second World War, we don't hear the German stories because they started it. That's what yeah, everyone yeah, says, yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 of course, um, yeah. But the, the stories are extraordinary. But the upshot of all this was mm. that the Prussian country was not only dismembered, but it was disappeared. It was erased. You can't hear that word. Yeah. You never hear it. It's the only country that's ever, ever been erased off the map because of the alliance between the warrior class and the landed aristocracy. Right. Okay. And then the third great caste system is the merchant caste, Right. And the merchant caste come as the society and the economy becomes more complex. And the merchant caste are usually much more cosmopolitan, yeah. usually want to just do trade. They usually have much more greater links with the rest of the world, they're less dogmatic, etc. So Priestland says that the history of the world and the modern society is the echo of this conflict between three castes, the priests, the warriors, and the merchants. And I think it's really, really fascinating. And the priests have turned into technocrats. Mm. The merchants are merchants. And the warrior class have turned into politicians. So when, for example, people say, oh, we need a strong man in leadership. Yeah. What yeah. they're actually pining for is the Genghis Khan, the big warrior. Right? right. Okay. That it's deep in society. And I think it's a very interesting way to look at divisions in society and political divisions. So, for example, even in Irish in, in, in Irish literature, I've always found this great distinction between a classic, classic spiritual druid legacy 
is W.B. Yeats, right? The mm. Celtic mysticism, all that yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. And those guys, the technocratic Druid guys, have always looked down their nose on the merchant class, right? Oh, he's in trade. We don't like him. He's making <laughs> money, right? right. And, and do you remember the the September 1913 poem we did? Yes. In, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, in, in the Leaving Cert. Yeah. And your man... It took Ye- all the joy out of it, I, I remember, doing uh, it in school. Yeah, like, of course it did. And your man Yates is having a go at the poor old shopkeeper and accusing him of fumbling in the greasy tail and yeah. not taking out the romantic war, like, you know, not supporting the warriors, right? The romanticism, right? So yeah. the, the the problem with the Druid technocratic classes, they have a weakness for isms, socialism, romanticism, communism, <laughs> corporatism, all these isms, mm. right? And they tend to try and invoke this romantic spirit in people. And of course, what Yates was really fed up about was that the average Irish shopkeeper was nonplussed about 1916 and 1913. It was like, it's not my scrap. Because why? Because the... Merchant class always wants not to rock the boat. Okay. Right. Whereas Joyce, our friend, okay. Mm-hmm. So in the same way as Yates didn't like the merchant class, Joyce made his hero, the everyman, yes, he, Bloom, yeah. an advertising copywriter. Yeah. A member of the merchant class, okay, a cosmopolitan who, you know, half Hungarian, Jewish, married to a Catholic, yada, 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 the great cosmopolitan walking around the city. Yeah. Okay, getting into yeah, fights yeah. with people, getting into scraps, right? <laughs> So what I always looked at, the, so this conflict between the, the sage technocratic class, the, the, the druids yeah. and the merchants is ongoing all the time. And we see that playing out. In yeah, what I was going to say, so where's this manifesting itself? So then? all over the world, right? So in the last 20 years, the educated class have become the major, major boosters of or supporters of the left. Mm. And this is a real change. So up until about 1970 or 1975, around then, the educated class all over the world always voted for the right. They always voted conservative yeah. because the more education you had, the higher income you had. So you want to protect it. You want to protect it, yeah. Yes. So you yeah, vote yeah, for the yeah, right. Yeah. The right yeah, said, we, yeah. won't, we won't raise taxes. Low, yeah, low right? taxes, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. what has happened over the last 30 years is a progressive but definitive move of the educated class to the left. Ending up with strange situations where you have the Democrats, for example, largely coming from the elite class, mm. right? Which is the, what the where Americans always worry about. Bernie always said, we need to look after the working man because that's our base. But what has happened is the left have become the party of the educated or the ideology of the educated. And the right, which used to be the ideology of the educated and the upper class and the higher income, has become the flag of the working class and the merchant right. class. And, right. then, and okay. then you have the merchant class, which always wanted the status quo because the merchants wanted, the worst thing you can have if you're in business is war. War is really shit for economics. Yeah. Okay, it's a big short well, term. stability apart from anything else. You know, any sort of conflict yeah. leads to uncertainty and instability. Yeah, exactly. And the merchant class always usually voted for the centre, even slightly centre-left, as long as it gave stability. Yeah. But what you're having now, and you see it in Brexit, and you see it in the, in the French right, is the petty bourgeoisie, as Marx used to say, have now gone to the nationalist right, yeah. the patriotic right. And there was a time for many years that they were always in the centre. So you're seeing this reconfiguration. So if you see it in the context of the caste system, right, right that the warrior caste is gone. They are now the political caste. Yeah. And they are supported by either the technocratic caste 
are the merchant caste, and they have swapped allegiance, right? So, 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 what's driving this? Why, why is this happening? Well, I think it's on the on the educated caste. It's to do with quality of public services, quality of life, equality, sense of fairness, mm. all that sort of stuff. They have basically said it's far better for us to live in an equal society than a divided society. Because in the extreme, I mean, if you've ever travelled to South Africa or Argentina, you know, what you find is people are rich, but they're barricaded into their homes. Like they live in compounds. Yes. Right? Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Think Gated what, communities. What's the point in that? Yeah. Like you're rich, but you can't go out. Yeah. yeah so you're like in yeah. prison. It's kind of it's bullshit. Yeah. I remember like we years ago staying in Mendoza with friends of ours in Argentina. And... They worked for wine companies. They weren't particularly mm. wealthy by any stretch of the margin, but they were wealthy in Argentinian terms. Yeah, yeah. And they lived in a compound with fellows with machine guns at the, on, at at the, the gate. gate. Really? And they had like football pitches and basketball courts in the compound, but they lived removed from the locals and they would not go into the city. And I kept saying, well, it's what? It's like a holiday camp type of thing. It's like Butlins. It? Butlins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Butlins for the management class, right? <laughs> I, I was thinking, what's the point in that, right? So I think that what has happened is in the West, the educated caste says this type of society we want is a more egalitarian one. And they've moved to the left. And the most classic example of that is the alliance between Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the, yeah. Demo- and the yeah. Democrat Party. I mean, yeah. I, I interviewed Matt Damon the other day. Great example of these. These are left intellectuals, creatives, artists. Then you look at the Brexit folk and you see who was leading. Or actually, have you seen GB News? No. Oh, man, it's the new crazy English British TV I station. I have seen that, no. It's a Brexit. It's like, it's like wrap me in two Union Jacks, please. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's your like an OAN in America. Yeah, it's like, it's like or Fox Newsmax or one of those. It's Fox News for English people. Yeah. And it's oh, really, it's, it's, it was launched this week. But so GB News, that type, is focused on what Napoleon used to call the English, the nation of shopkeepers. Right? Right. It's focused on basically that the merchant class that used to be cosmopolitan have now gone nationalist, right? Because they feel that they're not represented by either the left or the upper right, right. the old Tories. Yeah. So where they've gone is to the flag-waving right. And you see the same thing. This was kind of Thatcher's view of the world, though, as well. Though, it was her it? dream, really. Yeah. Yeah, her dream was to make the Conservative Party to to, well... Her dream was to do to England what Johnson eventually did, which was to get working class people to vote for the right wing mm. and get the woke elite to vote for the left wing. So the the GB News is all against the woke elite. This yeah, is yeah, obsessed yeah, by yeah, the yeah. just nonsense, right? And I mean, wokeism is what it is. It's the expression of 20 years. I just hate that term, but, but you but know what I right. mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then you've got to see, so all over the world, the educated class are going left and the uneducated, more commercial class are going to the right. And this is an amazing phenomenon that we've seen yeah. almost every country, except here. And John, in a second, I'll tell you about a new paper. You know, I like the old paper. You do, you I do. Know. Yeah. <laughs> a new paper by Thomas Piketty, who was a terrible bore, but quite a good researcher, yeah. very good researcher, which substantiates all this. That's coming up in a sec. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, so all over the world, John, the educated class are going left and the more uneducated class are going right. And this is a total contrast from 50 or 60 years ago where the educated class and thus the higher income class voted for the right because the right said we won't raise your taxes and the uneducated class and sometimes the poorer class voted left because they voted for socialism. They voted for the Labour Party. They voted for the working man, right? Mm. Now, there's been a very interesting paper. Well, hang on. Can I just stop you there? So just before you get on to that paper, so what's going on in France over the weekend? Well, in France, I just think you should never, ever hold an election uh, during the Euros. Because <laughs> no one will turn up. The, the turnout was what? What was the turnout? I, I don't know. It was like in the 30%. Yeah, I mean, you know, like if, if you take the view and read these days, you know, these days, with the exception of Australia, where you're obliged legally to vote. I think that's right? proper order too. Well, that's, and that's another question we might get into. Later, another another thing, but if you if you would think that it's, it was a French regional election, yeah, and if you think you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, "Could I be bothered voting?" And to the average French person who didn't turn up mm. say, "What well, what can we do today?" Well, we can watch France <laughs> kicks forty shades out of Germany in football. It's a pretty big game for the French, <laughs> or we can go and vote. But what's interesting is Le Pen's vote fell not only worse than they expected but much worse than I think they've ever had. Yes, yes. Which is a, which is a, which is a good bellwether. Yeah, you know, it's not but th- that's what I was wondering. What, what is the... I don't know. I don't know what the specifics are in France because Macron is not popular. Yeah, I mean, he has been he did terrible as well. So, I mean, it could be the reassessment. What I was saying is, you know, don't ever underestimate the centre. The vast majority of people are on the centre. Mm. There's a, something I, I like called the radical centre, right? Which is being in the centre... When the extremes are hosing up all the easy votes, you know, the slogans and I'll fix this easy, take back control, make America great again. The centre is actually the radical place because you have to think a little bit about what's going on. Mm. But in terms of this, these different casts, Thomas Piketty, the incredibly dull 
<laughs> French writer, oh, unbelievably tall, right? I mean, I know I can't say that because he's he's got like, the lefties love him, but Jesus, man! I mean, somebody should he should get his stuff ghost needs to get out more. He needs to he needs to get out more, right? Uh, uh, and we wrote this big book, Capital in the Twenty First Century, yeah. which was a huge bestseller, huge bestseller, and it was basically taking the view that there is a long run propensity for the owners of capital, the Marxist view. Yeah. to uh, get much, much richer. And he went back over hundreds of years and he identified why this is. And the reason is very simple. He said, over time, the return to capital, which is the rate of interest or dividends, has been higher than the return to labor, which is wages. Yeah. And you do that over years and that's what happens. But he just wrote a very interesting paper with two other economists about this idea of the educated elite going to the left. He called them the Brahmin left, the Brahmin after the, the Indian, Indian. Brahmin class. Yeah. So we can call them here in Ireland the Brehon left, right? After the Brehon <laughs> law, okay? Right, okay. Okay. And, and then he's talking about the merchant right, okay? And he talked about this whole thing. But what Piketty has identified is that Brexit and Trump, which are great examples of this phenomenon, what he's saying is this is the culmination of a 60-year trend. This is not oh. a shock, right? This is not like a vote for the right out of the blue. He says progressively over the last 60 years, probably from the, you know, the Soissant Wheaters, the French called, the 68, the, rev yeah. the student revolutionaries of 1968, yeah, yeah. Who, who went up against de Gaulle and the Fifth Republic, or was it the Fourth Republic? can't remember, maybe, it was, maybe the Fifth Republic. Those people were the first, so they're 1968, so the Bob Dylans of this world, it's mm. that sort of era, right? Mm. Those people are now very much in the ascendancy and they are very much the social democratic left. And he's, Piketty's trying to say that if you look at the data, and he's always, you know, very, very rigorous in looking at data, what you'll see is there has been a progressive move of what he calls the Brahmin left. We'll call them mm. the Brehon left here. Because again, a very interesting paper done by a guy called Tarode at Trinity, looking at the early 2000 elections, identified that the richest people in Ireland vote Green and Labour. Yeah. Yeah. which is mad. Yeah. And back then, the poorest people in Ireland voted Fianna Fáil. So even though Fianna Fáil were in bed with the developers, right, they yeah. managed to get poor people to vote for them too, whereas the Labour Party, which should have been elected by the working class, was actually being elected by the educated class. Now, the fascinating thing about the Piketty papers is he says, this is a 60-year trend in almost every democracy, amazingly in Ireland. And mm. this is the interesting thing. It was the case in Ireland up until five years ago with the emergence of Sinn Féin. So Sinn Féin have shattered this equation. So progressively over the last 40 years, the educated class in Ireland was moving closer to the left. Yeah. And they were actually taking social democratic values and they were saying, these are our values, okay? So basically in the Irish culture war, if you want to look at the Ireland as a culture war, so on abortion, on women's rights, on LGBT, all that sort of stuff, right? On the green, the environment, the educated class was going to the parties of the left because the parties of the left wrapped themselves in those particular flags. Now, Leo Varadkar tried to change all that by bringing in yeah, yeah. Fine Gael as the liberal party, right? Which is something that Gareth Fitzgerald had tried years ago, not really successfully. Yeah. But Another bore. Oh, terrible bore. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Unmerciful. Yeah. You only use unmerciful if it's really accurate. <laughs> yeah. An unmerciful bore and an yeah. unmerciful snob. Oh, unmerciful was he? snob, yeah. 
Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Go on anyway. Dublin on. Six squared. Anyway, right. interestingly, and this is what we're going to talk about, not this week, but next week. Sinn Féin have stopped the drift of the left away from the right. So what I mean is that Sinn Féin have stopped the drift of working class folk mm. and the small merchants who were going to the right. They're now, a lot of them, going to Sinn Féin. Now, this is fascinating. Yeah. And so Sinn Féin then is stopping that. Now, why is it stopping that? Because if you look at the data, and we're going to look at it next week with Kevin Cunningham, yeah, right? brilliant. Sinn Féin are, yes, a left-wing party, but they're also a party of protest. So yeah. I'll give you a for example. 90% of Sinn Féin voters in the last poll believe that all politicians are corrupt. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Now that's going to be very hard for Sinn Féin politicians when they get in. Yeah, of course it is. Because because then they become well, if the, the people who vote for if the people who vote for them think they're corrupt and don't think they can deliver, it's going to be very hard to deliver when yeah. you're in power for your own people. But that's a different. Uh, so if they do get in, chances are they'll be a one-term government, or they'll be Fianna Fáil of old. Right. They look, okay. smell, okay. and feel like Fianna Fáil. Yeah, that's I think the. But again, let's 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 hold this thought. Let's think about what's happening in the world. So in the world we have this caste war going on. Yeah, and the merchant caste, and we can call them the brown caste, but your man Priestland called them the sage technocrats, which I quite like. Right. Okay, and then the warrior class, and all these things mixed yeah. up together. However, Ireland is an outlier, and we are an outlier because Sinn Fein has actually stopped that. And working class people are voting left for Sinn Féin, okay? Mm. So they've stopped the drift to the right. Although you could argue that Sinn Féin is the nativist right because it's so nationalist. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's the mirror image yeah, of yeah. the Brexiteers yeah. in a way, right? We will argue all that next week. But let's leave this week the idea that old ideas and old certainties which were related to income, education and voting patterns have been shattered around the world, so much so that Brexit and Trump and those sort of shocks weren't shocks at all, but were the culmination of a 60-year or 50-year progressive political movement where economics is no longer the single biggest determinant. You remember when, for example, Clinton won the 1992 election with the slogan, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah. But it's not anymore, it's culture. Culture matters more than economics. And culture is where the deep, deep divisions are in society. And it's culture that will determine the next 10 years of political voting rather than what it used to be was economics, pound, shilling, pence, Mm, GDP, mm. all that stuff. All that stuff is, I think, now secondary. And culture is clearly the dynamic force. And that's, of course, where Sinn Féin win. Because on the culture war, they have nationalism, they have the flag, they have the north, all these things which galvanise people. And of course, if they can fix housing, they have that, all the combination together. So we watch the space. To all you Patreons out there, thank you so much for supporting us. We couldn't do this without your support. It means a huge amount to us. Also, all your feedback, your suggestions, your comments our comments to you, our replies to you, really is the essence of the whole thing. So again, thank you very much. And for all of you who might want to support us, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash David Mike Williams.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 